Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today on a leaden-skied winter's morning in the Udell Fells in Tilberthwaite with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Morning, Mark. <laughs> Hello, David. Wonderful place to be. And happy 2020, Mark. It's uh, yes. a new year of walking. Absolutely. Beckons. Lots of people do a dry January, don't they? They give up the alcohol. Yes. But we haven't really had a dry weather-wise January in the lakes, have no, we? No, we haven't. It's quite saturated. Uh, I've even got gaiters on today. Uh, it's the first time I've worn them for quite some while. We're here in the shadow of the mighty Weatherland, which is mm. one of my favourite fells. Same with me. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah. And we haven't really, other than our wanderer around the north of Coniston, we haven't actually ventured onto the Coniston Fells at all in Countryside. No. So this is, this is a first. It, it was in this vicinity with Vicky Slow, uh, discussing John Ruskin and so on. Now, that was magic, but we didn't get any height then. Today, all being well, we'll get home onto Weatherland, uh, and if the day is fair enough... We'll go up steel edge, which is fabulous. Of course, the word steel means steep, so expect a little bit of scrambling, but generally it's a great way up a fell. And actually, Weatherland's got almost more roots on it than any other Lakeland fell. Not quite Luffrig standards, which has got strolls aplenty, but it's got lots of ridges and it's a handsome setting with lovely aspects on the Coniston fells. Steel end as an ascent is interesting, isn't it? Because it's one of the few major routes onto the tops that Wainwright missed out. Yeah, well, Fell Ranger didn't. <laughs> it's in my original guide. If you go through Tilberthwaite Gill, you will come into Dry Cove and there it is rising before you. So it just draws your intention. You just really want to climb it. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's one of the finer scents in the Coniston Fells, I think. And who are we walking with today, Mark? Well, this is the first time I've met George Kitching, who's come to the Lake District and has taken it by the scruff of the neck and loves it to bits. And George writes uh, a web on a website, doesn't he? He presents his walks in rather lovely prose. Mm, I admire people who can write. I love words, but uh, some people have got a gift for it. Good stuff. Let's go and meet George. Sound of the Beck, Udale Beck comes through here, and uh, coming in audibly is Tilberthwaite Gill. But I'm in a sheepfold, a rather special sheepfold, and in the company of George Kitchen. Now, George, it's a delight to see you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yes, it's a delight to be here. And what drew you to the Lake District? I've been here 20 years, but before that I was a musician. I lived in Newcastle, right. we had a band, we had a record contract with Kitchenware Records, and that lasted about four years. Mm. But then my wife was offered a job with uh, the Year of the Visual Arts in 1996, which was in the, the North East in Cumbria, and commissioned all sorts of big art projects, including the Angel of the North. But the biggest one over in Cumbria was the Andy Goldsworthy Sheepfold Project, uh, of which this is one. This is one of the last ones he did, but he did nearly 50 uh, over Didn't the series of about, no. about eight years. I think it's 48 or 47, something mm. like that. 
most of the sheepfolds had disappeared, he found them on old maps and decided to recreate them, but then turn them into a kind of sculpture. So some enclose a kind of stone cone, others um, offset a natural boulder in a particularly artistic way. But this one, I think, is interesting. It's also a testimony to the local industry, really, which is it's slate quarrying. And there, as we'll go up till the Thwaite Gill, there are slate quarries that will pass. But what it's done here, if we can describe it, it's a big square washfold but each wall is inset with a rectangle of slate and in the middle of each rectangle is a circle made of slate uh, and in each one the slates point in a different direction so they reflect light differently at different times of the day and different times of the year and they kind of represent the cycle of the sun and the seasons as well as being integral to the mountain itself and the, and the aquaculture that was here. So it's, it's magical to have that vision of it. I think a lot of people even miss it. I mean, I remember yes. being here and watching a family all putting their boots on and just oblivious to it. Apart from their son, who I think was about 19, who wandered down here. Yes. And I, I caught him on the way back and said, that's something else, isn't it? He goes, oh, it's amazing. He said, it's like a rural Banksy. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and exquisitely executed. So... You moved here, and what was the, the trigger that actually brought you here? Right, well, S Sandy was working on the project, but as a result of that, she got involved with a lot of local galleries and museums. At the end of that, she was offered a job by the Lakeland Arts Trust. Building. So uh, we decided to move over. So she moved here. It took a year and a half for me to actually find a job over here, so I was commuting back and forth at weekends and things. But uh, finally, we, we came over here. And I, I knew nothing about fell walking, the mountains, anything like that, you know, but, I mean, the, the minute you see them, you're you just, drawn to them. If you've got a, a beating heart, you just want to be among them, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. And I, I picked up a copy of Wainwright's Southern Fells, a second-hand copy, in the Carnforth bookshop. And I was intrigued by all the annotations, you know, mm -hmm. dates that people had walked the different ones and things, and I, I just wanted to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's, that, it's, That's how I started. Absolutely. Well, you went from uh, one artistic creativity to another. Well, we're here in a magical place and it was your choice that we met here George uh, you've got a bit of a route in your mind what drew you to craft our walk for today partly it, was, it starts at the sheepfold it goes up steel edge which is a fantastic way up the mountain I mean it, it's an easy scramble but I mean it's a spectacular one mm. uh, and you feel like you're going up through the the mountain because it's this great gully the rocks are incredible the mineral rich colors in there mm. and also the old quarries on the way up and you get on to top of Weatherloom and it just feels right in the centre of things. I know it's on the edge of the Coniston Fells, but you're looking one way at the Langdale Pikes, the other way at the Old Man, you're looking across at Coniston. It just it feels like you've got everything around you. You're right in the midst yeah. of everything. Interestingly, there's a, a couple of Herbert Yows, as they call them, standing on top of the wall just adjacent to us, not in the fold, just the next wall on by the road. And they're such iconic sheep, aren't they? And they feel so at ease, even standing on a perilous wall. Yes. They like being up. They do. Uh, and in fact, we want to be up today, so let's be getting on our way. This is an intriguing place to come. Shortly up from the road, up steps, and we veered to a little passage into a wonderful arena of slate, a quarry with vertical bedding plane. It goes up a good 50 or 60 feet. There's trees, uh, larches and oaks, bare at this time of year, all crowding round you. This wonderful walled environment and the colourful stone, copper tinge to that. But this is slate, and what's the story here, would you think? 
I mean, Thomas West's Guide to the Lakes, which is one of the first one, he talks about Coniston as being, all the houses being covered in blue state, a product of the mountains. So I think mm. it was just local industry. It's what you, you built things out of what was here. Mm. Uh, and it became quite a successful industry. It outlived the copper mining, which was the other. Yes, this is the, the relics of it. You say, you can see how mineral rich the rock is just by looking at those incredible stripes of colour. I mean, yeah. it goes yeah. from yellow, green to kind of russet to, to almost purple, doesn't it? It's yes. incredible. It's, it's, it's a magical place. And the, um, the fact we are able to come into a place that hardly anybody knows about, and yet it's just beside the path. <laughs> exactly, right but there. it's yeah. a place of great industry. In Tilberthwaite Gill that we're going to walk up beside it'll be down below us we'll hear the crashing of the waterfalls whether we see much because of foliage this time of year we might there were deep levels drilled into the side of Tilberthwaite Gill and there was a kind of wooden walkway that the, the miners used the copper miners but come the Victorian times that was falling into disuse and they repurposed it as a sort of viewing platform so you'd have ladies in their crinoline whatever coming along to look at the waterfalls yeah, and everything else the, the romantic age yeah. took over well, it's romantic in a different way today, and then people who appreciate the industry of man will get a, a wonderful feeling of it here. Intriguing, we come to a little bit of a halt above that rift of a quarry. We are able to look back north, and you can see Betsy's Crag, where actually, to my knowledge, there's still a little bit of quarrying conducted by one man up there. And that is one of the sites of Lancelot Slee, or Lanty Slee's, illicit whiskey or gin uh, distilleries. Stills. <laughs> Do you know anything about the man? Yes. I mean, he was a notorious smuggler. I think he used to take his whiskey to Ravenglass and, and sell it and come back with tobacco. That <sighs> uh, was one of his main things. Yes. He was convicted about three times, but he drew huge crowds at the court in Ambleside because he was such an entertainer. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> rings around the judges and people. And people used to go to watch. I expect he gave the judges a bit of whiskey as well. I, I'm sure he <laughs> did. But they never found his stash of whiskey, apparently. Oh. So it could be hidden oh, in one of these caves around hey, here. <laughs> we've got a new country stride sport, hunting for <laughs> Sleaze stashes. Uh, that's right, yeah. How old is that going to be now? Although he was born in Borrowdale, he operated largely in Little Langdale, which is just over the brow from where we are now. And he traded his wares, probably on a pony or something, uh, went over rhinos and hard knot and... Perhaps Rosset. In the Wainwright book, the original guide, he mentions the old pony route, which he, he says was the was the route of smugglers. So ah. I, almost certainly I'd have thought Lancer used that as well. Yeah, high-level routes. Yeah, I, I'm sure he varied his route to try and yeah. avoid being detected. But, that's that's yeah. critical. How do you hide his activities? I know he had it in caves. Well, at one farm, low onside farm he had for a while, and he had a still there. But apparently the story is he created a great long underground pipe to pull the steam and all the stuff away from it. So people walking past a field would see the, the, all this steam coming out of a hedge in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully not associated with low on side Is that Benson and Hedges? Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating story. Anyway, we'll just pause a moment, look back over Ilbel and Frosick and Thornthwaite Crag. The sun is beaming and beautifully lit up. Red's Crees, Fairfield... Grisdale Halls and Sea Sandal, they're visible, but the clouds casting a shadow over there. Now, let's get a bit higher. <laughs> that was interesting crossing Tilberthwaite Gill. It was, wasn't it? Quite a weight of water going down it today. Fortunately, there's some large boulders facilitating the crossing, and uh, we were able to get across. Uh, well, we've entered 
dry cove bottom, uh, not dry. <laughs> Named with irony, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great amphitheatre, uh, and uh, there's some larches dotted on the hill over to our right, largely put there in Victorian times and on later to romanticise the setting, but they're in landscape proportion, which is great to see. Uh, and we're coming into the eye shot of the great craggy eastern face of Weatherlam, a name that has always fascinated me, and I've explored the origin of the name, and there's various postulated ideas, one being Weatherloam, as in something you mark a sheep with, rather like Red Tarn, yeah. where they had that red loam, but I think that's a bit dodgy. I'm more happy with this notion that from a particular angle, some farmer likened the shape of the fell, the grand shape of it, to a weather lamb, a weather sheep. Right. And of course, a weather is a, a castrated male sheep, quite a young one. So it refers to a young male sheep um, that from a particular angle, when it's bubbly, vital sheep, Right. This fell right. itself relates to that. Now, the route we're following, George, where is it from here? Well, we're actually looking right opposite that big crag there that we're seeing, yeah. due west of us, and this sort of long grassy ridge leading up to it. Yeah. Uh, that's Steel Edge. And right. it, it does look quite formidable from here. I can yeah. see why, with Wainwright not mentioning it, you might walk under this and leave that alone, thinking yeah. that's a road treat for climbers. But as we'll see as we get up, it's, it's actually quite an easy scramble. And on the slope of the main craggy element, juniper is very dense. And below that, you can see a building, a mine building. Maybe that's a copper mine building, perhaps. Quite possibly, I think. A level yeah. going in there, yeah. somewhat hidden. And that's on the far side of Dry Cove Bottom. Let's go and see if you can find a dry bit of it somewhere. Yes, yes indeed. Well, we've come to the uh, new footbridge, George. They have to refresh these every so often. And of course, it's where the paths from either side of Tilberthwaite Gill converge, coming up into Dry Cove. And Wainwright took a route up that way, didn't he? That's right. If you're following Wainwright's route from where we are now, you'd cross the bridge, coming up around Dry Cove Bottom, up to Burkhaws and up Wetherloom Edge. But you've got a bit yeah. of a theory as to why Wainwright missed this. Well, uh, I don't know whether he missed it or not. I mean, he doesn't mention it in the book, but he does say he thinks Wetherloom Edge is the easiest way mm. up Wetherloom from Tilberthwaite. Mm. So whether he did steal Edge and thought it difficult or whether he just ran out of space for publishing or well, whatever, and there wasn't room to put it in, I don't know. Yeah, but... he was very scrupulous with yeah. his pages. That's right. I, I remember, yeah. and this is a quick little hark back, he showed me that when he designed a book, he started off, he got the publisher to create a book with nothing in it. Right. Excellent. So he knew exactly how many pages he's got, right exactly from the, the word size. go. Right. And right. so once he embarked yeah. on chapters, he allocated yeah. everything scrupulously. Yeah. And so when he got here, he probably thought, well, Weatherman has got so many roots on it. He yeah. thought, oh, well, we don't bother with that one. Don't mention it. Nobody will notice. I think he doesn't mention black sails. Well, he mentions black sails, but not a route down it, which yeah, would seem another one, but possibly spoilt for choices. Too yeah. many ridges, how many to fit in. Weatherlum is yeah. well endowed. Yes. <laughs> okay, 
we've come up a bit of a height now, but we're still on the grassy ridge and looking back east. And the howgills are in their distinctive shape that Wainwright refers to as a herd of elephants. Certainly their sleek velvety lines are very prevalent now. And you can see Grey Rig Wind Farm, the sun's lighting there. Talking of Wainwright, uh, there is a bit of an interesting link with him in a book that he illustrated graphically by Richard Adams. Can you tell us something about That's that? Right. Richard Adams, who, of course, famous for writing Watership Down, uh, went on to write his third novel, was Plague Dogs, which is about two dogs that escaped from vivisection laboratory, which was actually located over there in the woods above Coniston. It was never a vivisection lab. It was a fell farm. It's now an artist's retreat. It's a place called Lawson's Park. Oh, yeah. And uh, the dogs escape from there. They come down to the lake. They come into Coniston, where they're hoping to find a nice master, you know, to look after them or whatever. But it doesn't go quite to plan, and they get chased away, and they run up into the uh, the Coniston Fells. They make their way up over Brimfell, uh, Raven Tor, and down into the Seathwaite Valley, uh, oh, yeah. where they they're hide out them. in an old, uh, again, an old coffin mine shaft, where they meet a fox who's appalled by their their naivety, but also <laughs> impressed by the fact that Ralph, who's a big black mongrel, can kill a sheep. Yes. Uh, so he does a deal with them that he'll kind of <laughs> school them in the ways of the wild um, while uh, yes. while they share their kills. Right. For the blog, I actually tried to trace some of the routes. Adams must have known this area like the back of his hand because yes. uh, it describes it in great detail. And even some of the people, the nice people, not the villains, the nice people <laughs> were actually real. They were real people yeah. who lived here and farmed here and whatever. And if you buy the current paperback, there's no illustrations in it but if you get an older edition that illustrated by Wainwright in a very familiar style yeah they look like a an adjunct really to the pictorial guide so it's absolutely fantastic yeah, it, to follow through they're very graphically correct and mm. of course Wainwright turned down a couple of honorary degrees mm. because two particular universities I won't mention which ones they were at the time were using animal experimentation yeah so it Richard Adams obviously was very much in tune with Wainwright's exactly. thinking. And he, his introduction, he actually says he, he doubts that any author was better served by an illustrator than he was by Wainwright mm. because I think of the shared passion and shared uh, care about animals as well as the fells. Interesting spot to stop. We've just come up the first bit of the gully. Sunlight on the fell over towards Stowbaradod. And you can see the howgills lit up still. That's great to see. But you can see Coniston water with a yacht on it. So somebody's having fun out there. You've got a bit of a story about the lake itself. Well, yeah, there's a fascinating story from just after World War One. Two years ago, there was a plaque lady in the churchyard in honour of James Hewitson, Jimmy Hewitson, who won the Victoria Cross in uh, 1918 for an amazing act of gallantry. But he was also involved in an act of defiance that made him a hero locally too. <laughs> when they got back, the attitude in the country was very different to what it had been four years earlier. There had been a big wave of patriotism. And now mm, your people country needs you. fought a war and it was very different. A lot of people didn't come back. A lot of people were suffering from shell shock. And of course, nobody had had the right to vote. Working class men couldn't vote then. And so there was a, a lot of political pressure for change. Somebody at the war office must have come up with an idea to try and recapture some triumphalism or, or, or whatever. And in probably the worst decision ever made, they presented towns 
up and down the country with what they called war trophies. Uh, so Wolverston actually got a German tank and uh, Coniston was presented with a German howitzer, which Very they par handy. Yeah, parked outside the Ruskin Museum. So you can imagine a small community mourning its dead and several young veterans coming back who'd uh, all decided they'd spent enough time looking at the front of one of those and didn't really want to uh, look at the back of it. So after one night in the pub, a few pints in, a few of them decided to do something about it. Well, I think Jimmy Hewitson had enough standing with them. They thought they'd run the pan and passed him first. So they went round to his house and he'd gone to bed, but he, he got up in a shot and said, just give me a minute to get my trousers on and I'll give you a hand. So the bunch of them pushed this gun down from the Ruskin Museum, past the Black Bull, down to the jetty. And they, they were meaning to push it into the deep water. This is a sort of bit where you can go off the wall. But it was pitch black and this thing must have been heavy. <laughs> and they kind of missteered and pushed it slightly by the stone jetty where it's all quite shallow. So it dropped in and didn't quite submerge, which was no good. And then one of them said, oh, I know, we could have a word with Prissy. And now Mr Priss was the captain of the steam yacht gondola, so they went and got him out of bed, and he said, yeah, no problem, lads. Uh, I'm going past at 8 o'clock in the morning, be there with a the rope. Uh, and so they were, and they tied this rope around the howitzer through the end to Prissy. He tied it on and pulled it out into the middle of the lake where he let it drop. And uh, it must have rusted there for about 40, nearly 50 years yeah. before a private collector in, in the early 70s, I think, fished it out. Uh, much to the consternation of some of the locals who thinks it, it should have stayed there. Breezy top of the Ladstones Ridge, and uh, there's a tangible path coming up the ridge, and we can look over towards Black Sail, but more predominantly, you can see Lever's Hawes just below the cloud on the horizon to the west, and there, glowering under a great mantle of cloud, is the old man itself. Below us is uh, leads down the Red Dell Valley. Yes, which uh, is where a lot of the copper mines were, and a lot of the copper mine workings. You can still see some of the old structure there. Now, Leavers Water. Just over Black Sail Ridge. Just over right, the ridge yeah. outside. There is a bit of a story that goes with that one. It's a natural tarn, but in 1717, they dammed it to make it into a reservoir for the uh, copper mines. Ah, yes. But there were already quite a few tunnels there that would have been flooded right. once they raised the water level. So they actually had to block them all off to prevent flooding Coniston, basically. And there was always a story that the engineers had used a great big wooden stopper to, uh, to block the water in one of these tunnels. A bung. Yeah. Nobody knew whether it was true or not until the 1980s when a group of cavers actually found it ah. and reported back on this. But then uh, a few years later, in the early 90s, another group of cavers went to find it. And when they got there, there was an improvised explosive device wedged against it. <laughs> and uh, so they ran out of there, called the bomb squad, who removed it and safely detonated it. But then the, wow. uh, the Sunday Times ran with the story based on the fact that John Major, who was the Prime Minister at the time, was due to visit Coniston. So they uh, put forward the theory that this was an IRA terror <laughs> attack you know, aimed at assassinating the Prime Minister. They added 2-2 two, two together and got 22. 22. The police were quick to rubbish that. I think the Westmore Gazette ran the story, the police saying that's absolute nonsense. But they actually thought it might have been a bunch of cavers who were curious what was on the other side of this thing. And we're going to sort of blow a hole in it, not realising it was the whole way of water. <laughs> Fortunately, the fuse had fizzled out and oh. hadn't gone off. <laughs> Let's head up to the summit. Yeah. 
Well, we've reached the summit, a very rocky top, all bedrock basically, very little loose stone. There's two summit cairns uh, on uh, adjacent tops as contenders for the summit. Uh, and the view back towards uh, the old man, he's uh, losing his mantle of cloud, thank you. Pleased to see that, you see Raven Tor and Low Water, Leaver's Horse and Great and Little How. The lighting now over Swirl How, with the cloud just lightly touching it. It's a brilliant silhouette. And is that, what am I seeing? Oh, is that cloud through the gap, through Leaver's Horse? I was thinking it was Raccoon, but I can't believe it is. Or is it? I think it is. It's that yes, shape, oh, isn't uh, it? Yes. yes. That is Black Coombe. It's hard to tell what's hill and what's cloud. Yeah, it's in, ethereal. In, yeah. It's, uh, it's magic. There's some brilliant light over on the shoulder of Blakerig on Pika Blisco. It's fantastic, isn't it? We've got Red Town over there, and it's a golden light, isn't it? The one thing we can't see that you normally can see is an absolutely brilliant view of the Pika Blisco, but that, that's kind of obscured yeah. at the moment. Moving towards dusk. Yeah. The cloud is lifting. If we could have camped the night up here, we'd have had a lovely view. A bit cold, though. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly a bit fresh. <laughs> That's it. It's, not, it's icy, but it's cold. Better retreat because uh, we've probably only got three quarters of an hour of light left, and that, uh, in these circumstances, means we have to get down. Uh, we're going down Wetherlam Edge, which is quite steep, a regular path, but quite. Uh, we have to pay attention onto Burkfell and then back down into Dry Cove Bottom. Yeah. and uh, Tilberthwaite Gill. Yeah. Back down the other side of Tilberthwaite Gill, so we'll, we'll see both sides of that. Uh, so it's always good to see life from both sides, <laughs> like clouds. <laughs> Feel the breeze coming over there. We've come down the slick, greasy rocks of Wetherlam Edge, which we all came down at our own pace, sensibly. Indeed, yes. That was a <laughs> careful footing required there. Yeah, it's all right in the ascent. It's descent. It's always difficult. Yeah. And with the light fading, uh, we come over Burkefell with a little summit, and so we bade farewell for our view of Langdale and so on. So we're coming down to Dry Cove Coombe. It's our little moment on Country's Drive where we like to give our guests a little bit of an opportunity to reveal something of their affection for Cumbria. Right. So, we, this is our quick fire moment. And George, have you got a favourite fell? Oh, ask me on a different day, it would be different. This Wetherland would be among them. Score Fell, I think the uh, Westwall Traverse is one of the finest ways up any mountain. Mm. Grysdale Pike I'm very fond of. Yeah. I could come up with five more on a different day. What's your first Lakeland memory? I don't know if it's my first one, but the one probably that got me interested in the fells. I remember I would only just moved here and I met two friends at Horswater and one of them, Lucy, used to live here and we were looking up at Riggendale Edge and I mean, it looked wonderful. I was taken with it already. It's when she mentioned there was a Roman road used to run over High Street, it just seemed so inconceivable. At that minute, I thought, I've got to go up there. Yeah. Uh, and that was my first fell walk, Riggendale Edge and up to there and it yeah, was, I, and I never looked back. Uh, have you got a favourite food associated with Cumbria? Oh, well, it might be the Cumberland sausage. I mean, that, that's uh, hard it, to beat, really. Is, it, is there a sort of connection with this setting? Well, there is, funnily enough, because uh, 
Wait, when they opened the copper mines in Elizabethan times, Elizabeth mm-hmm. I realised that the Germans were, were well ahead with mining and brought some German engineers over mm-hmm. to um, spearhead the works. But they brought with them, apparently, a recipe for a coarse, spicy, unlinked sausage Ooh. that became very popular and turned into regional delicacy. So now the copper mines are long gone, but every Cumbrian butcher worth his salt has an award-winning Cumberland sausage. Absolutely. The, yeah. the famous Wobbethwaite sausage. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Yeah, Germanic in origin. Is there a community, a town or village that you particularly have a great affection for? I'll have to say McCartmill because I live just outside it. You know, I mean, mm. it's fantastic. And uh, and you get the delicacy of the town as well. And the delicacies on sale there too. I mean, <laughs> Cartmill Village Shop is kind of like Fortnum and Masons, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got Long Clume. You know, yeah, if you can afford it. Yeah, <laughs> so if you could take somebody either from history or present day, uh, who's associated with Cumbria in some way, for a walking Cumbria, who would you choose? Do you know what, I'd, I'd love to have met Owen Glyn Jones, or the, the only original Jones as he, he built himself. I mean, I couldn't have climbed with him. His abilities were almost climbers, let alone a humble fell walker like me. But the way he writes about the fells, as a non-climber, I find it absolutely fascinating. You know, he's a very mm. compelling writer and obviously had a clear passion and great humour. Mm. And uh, the way he describes going up Scorefell Pinnacle with the Abraham brothers and them trying to photograph it with a big old-fashioned camera, you know. It's just absolutely unbelievable what they did and what they achieved. It was staggering. I appreciate it. In that age when cameras were new, people did the most incredible things. Yes, didn't know that they weren't portable. (laughs) Portable? Goodness (laughs) me, if you got the right porter, they were portable. Anyway, finally, George, what would be your most perfect Lakeland day? Oh, I don't know. Um... Possibly the Kentmere horseshoe, or, or even better, what I love about Kentmere, in fact, is if you do the Yoke and Ilbell and Frosick and Thornthwaite Crag and then down over Mardale Ilbell, but then come down the pass, the, the Nambiel Pass, and back through the valley, because it's such a beautiful valley. Mm-hmm. I think the far side of the horseshoe is less interesting, but the valley is spectacular. Absolutely. So uh, on a perfect summer day, you'd have everything. You'd have the valley, you'd have the fells, some of the most impressive fells. You, 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 that, that would encapsulate everything. Being on the fells and in the valleys, that mix yeah, yeah. that you get there is, yeah. is truly magical. And it was an Absolutely. ancient route. Um, exactly, yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know the Romans took it, but everybody else did yeah. before and after. As a final little moment, George, I'm sure listeners will be fascinated with your blog. We've talked about a lot of Lakeland stories, and that's really what I try and capture in the blog. Each one, very like Countryside is a walk, but trying to pull in a bit of heritage, some folklore, some current events even. So you can find that if you're interested at... Uh, lakelandwalkingtales.co.uk lakelandwalkingtales.co.uk well I heartily recommend it and I'm very grateful for you to spend the day with us thank you, thank you for inviting me along journey's end in the car park at Tilberthwaite and the day has run away with us it's (laughs) almost pitch black here Mark. It's a wonderful sensation to finish in the dark like this in Tilberthwaite's a gorgeous valley Tilly's fortification it means or Tilly's fortification. So this is Is kind of Norse. No it's Anglo-Saxon actually it's been corrupted to sound as if it's Norse (laughs) it's one of these quirky ones Anyway, the walk that we did today, Mark, I 
put it up there, I think, in my top ten Lake yes. District walks. I just think, bit of everything, you know, they're mm. grand fells, these, and mm. in my mind, anyway, Weatherlam is the finest of the Coniston fells. You've got a mix of industrial heritage. Mm. I mean, the waterfalls down here at the bottom in, the, in that fantastic, almost Scandinavian gorge. Mm, very alpine feel. Alpine, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. We've had two guests who've nominated Weatherlum as their favourite, Jonathan yes, Westerway. That's a good point. Yeah. And so, uh, and then George picked it as his special walk. I yes. hope he'll come again with it sometime and nominate somewhere else because he's uh, said he got a grasp of the area, which is wonderful. He has, he has that. Right, so usual housekeeping. A reminder that you can download uh, over 23 other episodes. Yeah, this is the 25th actual oh, one. Oh, goodness. Okay, 24 other episodes at www.countrystride.co.uk. You can find us on all podcast providers, so just have a little search uh, on whatever you use. You'll find us there. We're on social media, Mark, at... At, at CountrySpride1, so that's Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter there. Please do drop us a line. We love hearing from people. If you've got any suggestions for walks uh, for 2020, do get in touch. And uh, our next episode. Oh, yes, what is it? Oh, yes, well, still on the theme of mountains and uh, our concern for the welfare of people on the mountains, I invited Richard Warren who's a uh, team leader of the Wasdale Mountain Rescue Team. Right. And uh, so he's going to take us up Ling Mel from Wasdale Head. So it's another Ooh. visit to Wasdale Head. Do you know which way we're going? Are we going to go anywhere near fantastic Piers Gill, which is a notorious uh, accident black spot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that will be quite a focus. We'll be going up alongside it, up to right. the corridor route, yes. up to Ling Mel Col, and then back up onto the summit, and we'll take a much more leisurely descent from there by goat right. cracks. But uh, it's Ooh, a fabulous okay. viewpoint for Great Gable. Great Gable, yeah, yeah And uh, the view back to Scorfeld, Broad Crag and so on are handsome. Uh, but the story, it might be snowing then, so we might be oh. having crampons on the, and the like because it's, it's towards the end of the month. Yes. Yeah, and you're fortnight or so to, off. Things tend to get colder, don't they, they from do. now onwards. So Countryside will be earning its uh, keep by keeping our head high in the hills when many another would be in a cosy studio. We're talking about coziness, Mark. I think we're, we're done here for the day, aren't we? And maybe some kind of liquid refreshment beckons in a cosy Lakeland pub on the way home. But uh, we've had a, a grand day here, and thanks for tuning in to Country Stride. Mm-hmm.